few weeks ago, I think I had mentioned to you that I was sitting in our living room with a group of people. Some of our family had come into town, and I saw two ladies walking across the street, walking, you know, towards our home. They were fairly nicely dressed. I believe it was on a Saturday, and immediately in my heart, I thought, I I think I knew what this was. They were, the knock went on the door as I kind of lost them behind the window a little bit, and just a few minutes later, they knocked on the door, and it was a couple women that were Jehovah Witnesses, and uh, they began to share with us, and I and Patty begin to share with them. These women were sincere, no, no doubt, no doubt sincere. In, in fact, there was a, a degree of earnestness to them in the way they, they were telling us what the Jehovah Witnesses believe and even how she had left another church religion and had found the truth of God in Jehovah Witness religion. And so we begin to, to share with them. You know, I didn't tell her who I was, but I know that the Jehovah Witnesses religion probably started around 1896, and they make this statement on Jesus Christ, quote, that he certainly is not the supreme almighty in the flesh, end of quote. They do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be uh, sarcastic today. I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back. But I would say to you that if we sing the song, Jesus, there is no one like you, then that is true. In fact, if you were to go to the Jehovah Witness website, they clearly, on their website and in their teaching, reject the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is God in the flesh. They state this, and I'll just quote it for you. I don't have to tell you my words. Quote, is the firstborn son equal to God as some believe? That, they say, is not what the Bible teaches. The son, and I'm still quoting, was created. Obviously, he had a beginning, whereas Jehovah God has no beginning or end. The only begotten son never even considered trying to be equal to his father. Wow. Let me read that again. The only begotten son never even considered trying to be equal to his father. The Bible clearly teaches that the father is greater than the son. Jehovah alone is God Almighty. End of quotes. And so I'm just saying to you that they deny the very foundation of the historic Christian faith. They deny the deity of Christ. And as such, when you deny one of those cardinal doctrines, you are classified in that sense as a cult. Now, in contrast to that teaching, the Bible does declare, beloved, the full deity of of Jesus Christ. 
It declares his equality with the Father. And this will become crystal clear in our text this morning. Open your Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I bring us back after that two-week discourse on heaven. And pray for me. I will be with the students at the Master's University this Friday in chapel. Always grateful for an opportunity to speak to a thousand students, and I think I'm going to preach on heaven, and uh, you pray for me, and, uh, but we took a little excursion there on heaven. We find ourselves, you follow along with me in 14, 7 through 11. Jesus said, if you had known me, he's saying this to the disciples after he just declared, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, he says, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. May God bless his word. Let me just set the context for you. This is so important, this truth for us this morning. And again, we can see that the Lord's table is set. So we just abbreviated music. We'll sing again. We'll prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. It will be a great reminder of who Christ is. But don't forget, as we've been saying the last couple weeks, that Jesus, of course, in John 14, is in the upper room. He is in the upper room. It is that last week of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just the last week we've been saying For a few weeks, it's Thursday night. He is 12 to maybe 15 hours away from his cross the next day. You remember in John 13, 30, that Judas has just left the room to betray him. Jesus twice said, I'm about ready to leave you in 1333 and in 1336. These disciples, to say the least, beloved, were bewildered. They were bound up in turmoil. They were troubled, if you will. And in fact, you remember that even Jesus back in chapter 13 in 33 through 36 or 36 through 38, excuse me, told of Peter's denial. You can imagine what that would be like if you're one of the 11 at that point as Judas left the room. You're one of the existing 11 and the leader of your own group, the spokesman Peter, was going to triply or you know, three times uh, deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe those disciples were thinking, hey, if he denies the Lord, what will become of us? So the question would be before us is what does Jesus say to these bewildered disciples in the midst of this turmoil? Well, in 14, 1 through 14, he's going to give us these four declarations that provide hope in the midst of human chaos. Just a way for us to hang it, okay? Four declarations that's going to give you hope in the midst of human chaos. Four declarations. We've already looked at the first two just quickly there. Number one, he declares words of comfort. Words of comfort. 
He comforts these disciples. He had just told them that he was going to depart. And then he says in 14.1, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, let not your heart be troubled or agitated or confused. And really in the language, you can read it in this way. Stop letting your heart be troubled. It's what we call a present imperative. And it applies that as Jesus spoke these words, they are anxious. They are troubled. They are betrothed, bewildered, possibly even you this morning. Jesus says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Put your faith and trust in God. Put your faith and trust in me. And even that is a clear statement of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives these words of comfort. He says, number one, don't let your heart be troubled. He says in verse two and three, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. How encouraging. How comforting. I'll receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In other words, I'm going to put you in heaven, but I'm coming back to get you at the second coming that where I am, you may be also. And then remember Jesus said in 14.4, you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And so his words of comfort gave way to that second declaration, the wondrous claims. The wondrous claim, secondly. And he said there, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, he gave three distinct claims, if you will, to encourage them. He builds them up with words of comfort. Then he gives them wondrous claims. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way to God. There is no other source of truth. There is no other source of life but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the flow, beloved, and I want you to catch this. He declares words of comfort, then he declares wondrous claims. Now he's going to state the significance of why he is the only way to the Father. I mean, that is a bold claim in verse 6. I'm the way, the only way. I'm the truth, the only truth. And I am the life. I am the source of life. And what Jesus is going to do in 7 through 11 is state the significance of why he is the only way to the Father. Such a bold claim, but I'd ask you why. And so I bring you to the third declaration this morning is that he declares the wonder of his character. He declares the wonder of his character. It's an incredible passage. The emphasis in 7 through 11 is so clear. Six different times, Jesus declares that he and the Father are profoundly one in essence. And for that matter, one in function. Pick up the text with me, and it's a thrilling text. Verse 7, Jesus says to them after that claim... If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him, and you do, in that sense, see him. He declares here in verse 7, nothing less than his deity. Nothing less than his equality with God the Father. Now, I just want you to note here, just as we begin, there's a little bit of a change in the pronouns. He was speaking, was he not, in 14.6 to Thomas. But here in verse 7, 
he says, uh, if you had known me, you would have known my father. And he changes that to the plural in verse 7. He's not just speaking to uh, Thomas, but he's speaking to all of the disciples. And he's saying here that this is the wonder of his character. He's not merely a man. He's not merely a prophet. Rather, he is very God in the flesh. I mean, this has been his message all along. I think he's saying in 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. I mean, we've got statements like this in the Gospel of John. You know it maybe by heart. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, what? Was God. He, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, was in the beginning with God. The beginning from before the foundation of the world. In fact, it says in John 1, 3, that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus clearly, from the opening scriptures, is seen as deity. Do you remember later in John's gospel in 858, when he was talking to the Jewish people, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, remember those two words, I, what? I am. That same I am who's revealed in the Old Testament is now in the New Testament declared to be Jesus Christ. In fact, to the Jews, he said, it is not for a good work in 1033 that you are going to stone, that that we are going to stone you. He said, but for blasphemy, here's what the Jews said in 1033, because you being a man, make yourself, who? God. I mean, there couldn't be any clear truth. And so what Jesus says, look again in verse 7. He says, from now on, You do know him, and you've seen him. In other words, to see Jesus, what a statement. It's as big as 14.6. To see Jesus is to know the Father. It's a profound statement. It's revolutionary, if if you will. In other words, the person of God is revealed in Christ. He's been saying that, and he says it to the disciples, but they didn't get it. Look down again at 14.8. Philip comes back into the picture. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. In other words, Philip says to the Lord right there on that Thursday night, I want something more. I need something more. We just sang the song that he's all we need. Philip, like many today, wants something else. Probably what Philip's after. He's probably after what we call in theology a theophany. Where God would manifest himself in some way in some way tangible to the sights. Philip wanted something tangible that he can see. And so he says to our Lord, show us the Father. In essence, what he's saying is, I want to see a visible revelation of the Father. Think about saying this to the Lord. 
And it could be that maybe what's in Philip's mind, maybe, is Moses. Maybe he's thinking of that great man of faith. You remember back in uh, Exodus 33, 18, when Moses said, show me your, what? Glory. Show me, in the Hebrew, your Shekinah. Moses said, listen, if I've found grace with you, I want to see you. And that word for glory is the Hebrew term kavod. And it literally spoke of weight. And it spoke of the gravitas, if you will, of God. And what Moses was saying is, listen, I don't want just part of you. I want to see you, God. It could be that was what was in Philip's mind as Jesus claimed relationship with the Lord. Maybe, uh, there's a number I can go on, I'll just give you one more. Maybe he was thinking about Isaiah. Isaiah 6.1, you know well in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said that I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. Isaiah was carried away into a vision, a theophany of God lifted up on the throne. I think, beloved, what Philip is saying here is I want that kind of revelation. I want to see the Father physically. And if you show us the Father, look at that little phrase. I just think it's kind of funny. He says, if you show us the Father at the end of verse 8, it is enough, he actually said, for us. It's enough for the disciples. You say, well, what would the Lord say to that? Well, He responded to him. Look in the text in verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I, and, and I'm reading this with a tinge of sadness from Jesus. Have I not been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He has stated, beloved, as we've looked at this for three years, his deity and his oneness with the Father all throughout John. But Philip wants something more. And I'm smiling here because this is the Word of God. Scores, millions of people want something more today. They want, and I'm talking about believers. They want something more today. They want something greater. They want some kind of experience. They want some kind of miracle. They want some kind of voice. They want some kind of dream. They want some kind of vision. And I continually hear even Christian leaders say, I had a vision and I had a dream and I heard this voice I think Philip echoes the thought of the 21st century. And so Jesus said to him in 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Would you just look back? Let me affirm this statement of Jesus. Back to just two chapters in 12. Look back in your Bible. In chapter 12, I love this little phrase in 44. Jesus cried out and said, and I always like the fact that he cried out because he's a preacher. He just, at the top of his lung, whoever believes in me, 
believes not in me, but him who sent me. Now watch this. And whoever sees me, sees him who, what? Sent me. If you've seen me, you've seen the one who sent me. So he says it in 14.9. He says it in 12.45. Now, beloved, listen, we know the unbelieving world doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, they asked Jesus in John 8.19, where is your father? And Jesus said in John 8.19, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. I mean, we understand a little bit of the Jewish unbelief. We get that. But listen, can you imagine these disciples as you turn back to John 14 for three years with Christ? They heard his words. They watched his works. They saw his power at work. They saw the signs. And I'm just saying this honestly. They still had not quite comprehended who our Lord was. It's Thursday night before the cross, and they still don't quite grasp who he is. And I think, beloved, we know from the other Gospels, I don't think they would quite get it until after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension into, the glo- into glory. John 14 through 16 is going to tell us that when I leave, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit to you. So they know him, they believe in him, but they do not clearly recognize him. They do not fully grasp him. So Philip asks for direct revelation. He just says, I, I, I want to see God. I want, I want to see the Father. If you show us the Father, it's enough. But Jesus comes right back to them in 14.9. Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And here's another truth in John, that throughout John's gospel, everything Jesus does is what the Father gave him to do. Jesus does everything the Father does. So how do we explain? How do you and I explain 14.9? Let me just remind you of a truth. How do we, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. In what way? Let me show you. Go back to John chapter 1 just for a moment. I think this is one of my favorite statements in all of the Bible. I mean that. I probably have a handful of verses that I love. This is at the top of my list. In John 1.18... And I believe here it's John the Apostle speaking, or John the Baptist still in the narrative. He, do you remember this in 118? And, and I'm going to, how do you see God? But they would affirm this. No one has ever seen God. In other words, no one has ever seen him in his essence. Do, do you remember what uh, Moses, what God told Moses back in 33? No one has ever seen my face, face and what? And lived. So here the writer says in 118, no one has ever seen God. Watch this, semicolon. And then it says, the only God, speaking of Christ, who is at the Father's side, who is at the Father's bosom, if you will, he has made him known. So John says here, no one has seen God. And I want you to know in the ancient world, uh, no one would have disagreed with that statement. There would have been no disagreements, right? No one has seen God. And we've shared before, beloved. Let me just explain this just for a second. We know that God is a spirit, 
according to John 4, 24. By saying that God is a spirit, then we understand that he doesn't have flesh and bones like we do. God is a spirit. In fact, in the book of Colossians, it, you remember it says this in 1.15, that he is the image of the what? The invisible God. So God doesn't take on flesh and bones as we have. At times, he's appeared in a theophany. At times, the glory cloud came by. And he showed his presence. At times he put Moses in the cleft of the rock. And he showed him the backside of his glory. But God is invisible, the scriptures tell us. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.17, God in his essence, do you remember that phrase in that old song? He is immortal and what? Invisible. So, so, So no one has seen God. In fact, it would bring horrific results as I said in Exodus thirty-three twenty, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. In fact, in Deuteronomy in five twenty-six, for what mortal has ever heard of the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we have and survived, let alone see him? There were people at time where his voice thundered. They couldn't believe they were alive. In Judges 13, 22, they said, we're doomed to die, Manoah said, because we've seen God. And he didn't see God. These are expressions of God, what we call, and they're theophanies. He saw in that passage the angel of the Lord. But, but I want to show you something. Look over at John chapter 5. This is very important for us. In John 5, in verse 37, do you remember this? And the Father, 537, who has sent me, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have not heard. His form you have not, what? Seen. You have never seen. You've not seen the form of God. You've not even heard Jesus said his voice, his form you've never seen. Look over one more chapter in John chapter 6, and I'm going to take you back to one. But John 6, look at verse 46. He said, not that anyone, watch this, has seen the Father except, except he who is from God Speaking of Jesus, he has seen the Father. This is a wonderful truth. So God lives in unapproachable light in 1 Timothy 6.16, whom no one has seen, but here it says that he has seen the Father. Now, now just for a moment, go back to John chapter 1. Go back to John chapter 1. Let me show you what I was trying to get at. Read it again. No one has ever, 118, seen God, semicolon, the only God, another statement of Jesus' deity, who is at the Father's side, or literally who's at the Father's bosom. I love this phrase. He has made him, what? Known. In other words, what you have in the scripture is that no one has ever seen God's essential nature. Oh, he may have been seen in a theophany, but 
his inner essence of God, his inner nature, here's what 18 is saying, is disclosed only in Jesus. In other words, if you have seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. The Son, who is at his Father's side, here's what's thrilling about this, has made him known. The Son, the eternal Son, the only begotten Son, who has forever been in the presence of God, has made him known. Now that phrase there, has made him known, and I don't mean to get too detailed, means to set forth in great detail. It's the idea here to make him known is to set forth and expound him in detail. That word, the Greek word, literally means to interpret. In fact, we get our English word there to make him known. We get our English word exegesis from this. Exegesis is what I'm doing with you this morning is the practice of interpreting the scripture. But what this verse is saying here is that in this sense, Jesus, the unique and only son, interprets God for us. That's what it's saying. He is utterly unique, beloved. He is saying in the gospel that the word that became flesh, the one and only who's at his father's side, the one and only has seen God and he's exegeted him for you. He's made God known unto you. So Jesus then, in biblical theology and Christology, is the ultimate disclosure of God. In Jesus Christ, the character of God is known. He, speaking of Christ, has explained him. In other words, that's our title this morning, Jesus reveals God to us. Let me put it another way for you. In the revelation of Christ, the invisible God becomes visible. That's the truth of the scripture. The good news is that the invisible God became visible in the person of Christ. So God cannot be seen in a literal sense, but to know Jesus fully is to see the heavenly Father. That's the text. So look what he said to Philip. Go back to the text in, in John 14. It's just amazing, the scripture. Go back. He said there to him in 14.10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? In other words, do you not believe that I'm the essential nature of God the Father and that the Father is in me, that he commissioned me? Now listen, it's not that all the distinctions fall away within the triune God and their relationships. It's not that all the distinctions fall away between the Father and the Son. Nor does it obliterate their individual uniqueness within the Trinity. But to know the Son, <laughs> it's profound, is to see the Father. If you know the Son, you know the Father. He hasn't revealed himself to anybody else in that way. You say, but Scott, can I see that a little more clearly? Yes, I think so. I was driving on 
Friday night. I had to go into Fresno. And I, I had this problem happen. Do you ever have these things, these cell phones? And they have these maps on them, right? And uh, my power died. I just lost all juice. And I had to get to the Fresno airport. And I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And I'm on the freeway. And all I could look for on the freeway is the signs. I was looking for, and I get confused between the 180, the 168. I mean, I've lived here six years, and I still get confused, especially when I get down to Bullard or Shaw, and then I'm coming back, but I don't need to come home, and now I'm going to the airport. And Every time I used to track here in my first year, I ended up at this little tiny airport on a street that no airport existed. Sometimes good. So I'm looking for the signs, and as I'm driving, there it is, a sign on the freeway. Not in the sky, but a freeway sign. And on the freeway sign, it had the little picture of an airplane. I'm like, oh, I get that. Okay, there's where the Fresno Yosemite Airport is. And so I began to, okay, the 168. Okay, then I thought, oh no, what's going to happen now? Then I got on the 180. And then there's the sign again with the picture of the airport. And it took me right to the airport so I could pick up Corey and Christine and our grandchildren. Listen, I just say that to you. There's a signpost in this text. And and Jesus gives two profound signposts so that you might see the wonder of his character. Together, these two signposts reveal the deity and the oneness of Jesus Christ with the Father. Here's the signpost. It's not I mean, we've seen it at times before. The first signpost is his words, okay? And then the second signpost is his works. If you're looking for something tangible and real, they're looking at Christ, but he points them to something further. He says, I want you to see these signposts, if you will, in my words and my works. The first signpost is the words of Christ. Look at it in 1411. He says this, No, excuse me, in 14.10, in the middle of 10, he says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. I love that phrase. The words that I say, I don't speak to you on my own authority. Jesus is saying, let me give you an incredible marker is that every word of mine is a word of his Father. And and I'm not taking that all of you in here this morning are believers. But here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to see God, Jesus is saying, I reveal God in my teaching. I reveal God in my words. For he said there in 10, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. In other words, he's speaking the very words of the Father. Look back in John chapter 3, just quickly here. John chapter 3, you'll see this, and this will come out in the text. In John chapter 3, in verse 34, he's going to say this numerous times. And so I'm arguing with you. I'm, I'm, I'm competing with your heart here. 
that these aren't just the words of a man. These aren't just the words of a prophet. These aren't just the words of a guru. This isn't just the words of an enlightened man. This isn't the words of just a sage. These are the words of God the Father. Look at John 3.34. For he whom God has sent utters, what? The words of God. He's not talking on his own. When Jesus speaks, the Father is speaking through him. Now you say, well, Scott, I, uh, you know, I, what, what does that mean? Well, it just means what it says. You say, well, a lot of people can say that. Well, then you're calling him a liar. <laughs> I mean, he's either the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. These are his words. Look over at John 7 just for a second, just to encourage you here and to build your faith up of the believer. In John 7, could not be any clearer in 7.16. The Jews therefore in 15 said, marveled saying, how is it this man has learning when he has never studied? In other words, he's not been under a rabbi. 7.16, Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. What a statement. It's not mine. My words come from my Father. Look two chap- one chapter over in chapter 8. Would you look at this? In 826, we've seen statements. I'm just bringing you back to these. He says in 826, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that what I have learned from him They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own initiative, and here's the phrase, but speak just as the Father taught me. I love that. In other words, when you read the words of Christ in red, They're the words that the Father gave him in his earthly life. Glance down in chapter 8, verse 38. Again, it says there, I speak, Jesus said, of what I have seen with my Father. And he says, you do what you have heard from your Father. In another passage, that's the devil. But I'm speaking to you from my Father. Now listen, our Lord is not a ventriloquist here, speaking through his dummy. No, the Son here speaks the mind of the Father because this is also His own mind. This is their oneness. God's person is revealed in Christ's teaching. Look look over to John chapter 12. Look, I'm just trying to secure this with you, to know that when we teach from the Word, the Word is true. In John chapter 12, in verse 49, I love this statement there. Uh, for I have not spoken, 1249, on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, and here's the commandment, what to say and what to speak. His words, beloved, are the very words of the Father. So look back in John 14 now, in verse 10, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works, believe in me that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Put your faith in me, trust me, 
My teaching, my teaching is the very words of the Father. But watch this. That's a signpost. You say, Scott, how do we know if we've seen him, we've seen the Father? Here's how. There's a huge glaring sign in the New Testament, and it's called the words of Jesus Christ. No one ever spoke like this man spoke. This, beloved, is God in the flesh. But listen, it's not only his words. There's a second signpost. Look at the text in 1411. He says, believe in me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the what? The works themselves. So watch this. His person is revealed in his words, first sign. Second sign is his person is revealed in his works. In other words, the works of Jesus Christ reveal God to us. He said, listen, if you're having a problem with my words, I... And I think he's just going after them a little bit. Believe on the account of the works themselves. For John, the works, the miracles, he called them the signs, point to the wonder of his character. And his works, listen, here's Christology, display God's character to us. And he said this all the way through. Let me just show you just for a second, not all of them. Go back to John 5. I'm I'm highlighting his works here in John 5, in verse 20, in 520. He said, therefore, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And I love this. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. The works reveal the person of God the Father. Glance down at chapter 5 and verse 36. He says, but the testimony I have is greater than that of John, speaking of John the Baptist, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father, what, has sent me. Verse 37, that the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. In other words, his works reveal the person of God. Look over to John chapter 10. Just, I'm just touching on this with you to remind you that he is very God, Jesus. In John 10, remember this, in 25, 10, 25, Jesus answered, then am I told you and you do not believe. He said, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. <laughs> this just his miracles, his power. How about this one? He created the world in John 1, 1 through 3. Everything in the world came into existence by him. That's a big sign. And I'm telling you, if you miss the sign of his teaching and miss the sign of his works, then you've become spiritually blind. Look at 1037. Look what he said there. He said, if I am not doing the works of the Father, then don't believe me. Okay. Verse 38, but if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you know, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in the, what? Father. So listen, he, his works. How about raising Lazarus from the dead? How about feeding fifteen to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish? How about changing the chemical compound of water and turning it into wine i mean it's how about the power to tell a demon to be quiet and the demon's gone how about the power to take a legion of demons and put them in pigs and uh, you say what are those listen 
I got to the freeway on Friday night. You need to get to a relationship with the living God. So listen, let me come back to this. Earlier, Philip said, I want to see God. I want you to show me the Father. But Philip did it, didn't quite get it then. We understand that man can't see God, but, but Jesus does reveal the person of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I just want to say to you, maybe if some of you are new, let me just uh, say this at the beginning. And if you're new, maybe you're visiting, you're going to come into this place. You're not going to see a miracle service up on this platform at GCV. I'm not going to bring somebody up to pray over somebody, to touch someone, to hit them with the power of the Holy Spirit, as some say. You're not going to see a miracle here in the service as such. You're not going to see God in a vision. You're not going to have usually some powerful, mystical experience that everybody wants today. You're not going to come into this service and talk to your dead relatives. That's not going to happen here. And I want you to know I'm probably close to my 35th year of pastoral ministry. I have never seen God. I have never had a vision from God. I have never heard his voice in audible form. I've never heard his voice from the sky. I could even say this. I haven't seen physically Jesus. I've never heard his audible voice. I've never heard the voice of an angel. But I do want to tell you this. I've seen him revealed in this book. Amen. I know my God because I see him demonstrated in this book. Herein lies the evidence. In the Bible is the very revelation of God. And beloved, I want you to know, I do see Jesus in this book. I do see God revealed in this book. I do know where my loved dead ones have gone. My dad has passed away. I, I know where my dad is. Because Jesus said, let not your heart be, what? Troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, what? Rooms. He went straight into glory. I do understand by faith the person of Christ. It is in God's word that he reveals God to me. And let me say this. This may sound like a shock to you. I do see miracles. I do see miracles of the new birth. I do see miracles of regeneration. In fact, I just have to share with you, I saw one last week. I was at the men's retreat, and this young man stepped up, who's 25 years old and single. And he talked about his anger. And he talked about hating God. And he talked about hating his family. And he talked about being angry with everyone who was in his life, in this church, and in this community. 
He was a drug addict. He was an alcoholic. And I'm just saying to you that Almighty God did a miracle in his heart to save him. Amen? How does God enter in and take someone that's hard and crusty and, and has got pushed God out of his life, and yet somehow God began to break him through his word and break him even using music and lyrics to music and drive this man to his knees to the point where as he gave his testimony nine days ago on a Friday night, I'm thinking this is a miracle. You understand what I'm saying? It's a miracle of a changed life, of a changed heart. And Jesus says to the disciples and to you from now on, you know me and you also know what? The Father. Here. And you know it by the Holy Spirit. That's John 14 verses, uh, you know, 14 through 16. His words, his works reveal the deity of Jesus Christ and the unity of the Father, the Son relationship. So here, beloved, do you say, do you know God? Yeah, I know God. How do you know God? I know God here. Have you seen God at work? Yeah, I see. I read about God. I see it in the life of Christ. I see miracles in the power of being born again and regeneration. And then I read in scriptures like this, in Colossians, that he is the image of the invisible God. For by him, how about this miracle? How about this signpost? All things were created. (laughs) Not a few things. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And no wonder, Paul said there, and he is before all things. In other words, he should be first in your life. Then Paul said, and in him all things hold together, that he not only created the world, but as we speak on a ball careening in space so fast being held by gravity that you're sitting down even though we're on a ball and even though we're spinning so fast, the Bible says in him all things hold together. Listen, if somebody goes to hell, they got to be blowing down the sign of his words, just mowing it down, just, they're mowing down all of his works. They're denying his power. They're denying the truth here. He said, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might be prototokos. In other words, not first in order, but first in rank. That's the person of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, there's no one like you. And you say, well, how is he God? Well, do you see it there? You either believe Paul and believe Jesus. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is, the writer of Hebrews said, In 1.3, the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the very word of his power. Beloved, I just can't say it any clearer. He reveals the Father to us. These, These two signposts in his words and in his works. And so for the J-dubs to say that there's nothing even remotely stated that he's equal with his father is clearly wrong and I'm just I want to be honest with you okay and we're always going to tell you the truth we'll be criticized for telling the truth but we're not here to please people 